For the month of August, we'll be doing a school supply drive. The goal is to give out 100 backpacks at the food distribution in August. We are asking everyone to donate and drop off on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and the next third Saturday in July. For any questions, please contact Deacon Nolan Crockett. The Women's Ministry will be meeting today at 12 p.m. for a virtual meeting on the topic, transitioning back to our physical place of worship after COVID. If you have any questions, please contact Ms. Mary Pius. The youth ministry will be going bowling in July. It will be on July the 18th for our youth from 6 to 7 p.m. and for our young adults from 7 to 8 p.m. To RSVP, please email tebay6 at gmail.com. On Wednesdays, we'll be having our prayer meeting at 6 p.m. and our virtual adult Bible study Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. 
On the weekends, we also will be having our Youth and Young Adult Sunday School Saturday at 10 a.m. and our Adult Sunday School on Sunday at 8.30 a.m. Well, we hope that you have a blessed rest of your Sunday and thank you for joining us for our worship service. Every day. 
Welcome to our time of worship and fellowship, and specifically this moment of preaching. I invite you to get your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 41, and we're going to read verses 15 and 16, but we'll be preaching from the entire verses of 15 all the way down to verse 32. But for your hearing, we're simply going to read verse 15 and 16. Genesis chapter 41, verse 15 and 16. Here's what it says. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I have heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph then answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. It is not in me, says Joseph, but God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Title this morning is, my comeback has arrived. My comeback has arrived. We're continuing our exposition of the life of Joseph. As in the previous weeks, we have entertained the subject, a setback, a setup for the comeback. Series one and two, parts one and two, was specifically about the setback and the setup, and today we want to digest what the comeback looks like from Genesis chapter 41. Well, the day of anticipation has finally come. Joseph has been laboring and believing that the prison was not his final destination. He possessed a dream and a promise that someday he would be on top and not the bottom. He would be the head and not the tail. A denial by his family, an unpleasant journey to Egypt, an unjust stench of incarceration, each of these setbacks appear to have been a part of a divine setup 
as a preamble to Joseph's comeback. And wouldn't you know it, here we are witnessing a famous, often stated line, particularly in the New Testament, but also present in the Old, and it came to pass. Joseph's comeback has finally arrived, and his faith has not failed him. His hope has not deserted him, and his trust in God during lean and difficult days has proven rewarding. When you listen to what has occurred in Joseph's life and then begin to examine perhaps your own, our own predicament, you wonder how applicable are the words of the late William James who said this comment, it is our attitude at the beginning of a difficult undertaking which more than anything else will determine its successful outcome. In other words, says William James, how I perceive this moment, how I see this moment, whether the glass is half empty or the glass is half full, whether I engage in the process of pessimism or whether I decide to engage and grasp the concept of optimism, says James, it will help determine how successful our outcome will be. That statement by William James also underscores the wisdom that comes from Maya Angelou. Maya Angelou has this interesting saying that upon initially hearing, you don't quite catch it, but if you listen to it, the meaning will quickly make its way around. She said, I quote, I've learned that you shouldn't go through life with the catcher's mitt on both hands. You need to be able to throw something back. Now, if you know anything about baseball, you know that the catcher has his catcher's mitt, has her catcher's mitt on one hand so that the other hand is free to throw back either to the pitcher or to someone at the bases. And arguably, Maya Angelou is suggesting to us, don't tie yourself up merely just receiving but make sure you have a freedom in one hand to throw something back. And that's where we are in Joseph's life. Now, he is ready to throw something back. He throws back to us in this 21st century context what I define as two critical nuggets that I hope we might consider as wisdom. One, he says, if you have a pulse you have possibilities. I'm going to address that more as we get to the end of the sermon because it's one of the sermonic points, but listen to, what he, listen to what Joseph very easily would be suggesting along with William James and Maya Angelou. If you have a pulse, you have possibilities. In other words, don't die 
in the wilderness of life, but instead decide to adjust, decide to make the necessary adaptions that you may need, and trust God to advance you forward and not backwards. Don't die in the wilderness of life, but trust God that he will advance you forward and not backwards. Make the necessary adjustments you need to, you need to make to help catapult yourself forward. There's a second nugget I think Joseph might be suggesting, and that is waiting can be cold in the beginning, but warms up over time if you trust who's monitoring and controlling the thermostat. I'll say it again. Waiting can be cold in the beginning, but warms up over time if you trust who's monitoring and controlling the thermostat. I want to suggest that if God has his hand on that thermostat, and I believe he does, and although <clears throat> the waiting may appear to be quite difficult, <coughs> excuse me, but God, because he controls the temperature, will make sure that in the coldness of waiting, time will bring about the warmth, which will make it a bit more easier for you to persevere in the midst of the moment. Let's look where Joseph is at, or perhaps maybe where he was. He was at ground level in the pit of powerlessness, and now he has been placed before the personification of the power in Egypt. He was at ground level, but now he's standing before the all-powerful in Egypt. He has been escorted, says the text, into the presence of Pharaoh. That's what verse 14 says. And now he's standing before all of this power. He may be reflecting on the fact that he had been living in filth, but now he stood amidst the scented finery of the court of the Nile. And what we may want to consider is the question that may become critical to Joseph's now mentality. What will Joseph do when his comeback has placed him at the center stage of power, of fame, of fortune? When he gets before Pharaoh, will he choke? Will he become less bold to carry out, to execute his giftedness? Will he yield to the temptation of pride and arrogance? Remember, he is now elevated from the prison to the palace, a new environment. Will that environment trouble shift his mentality? Will Joseph forget from whom all blessings flow? 
Will he forget who has kept him in the winter of his life? Will he abandon what has brought him safe thus far? If you are in the trenches of your own comeback, consider these questions because they will either make you or break you. Our departure point this morning is simply verse 16, really. That's Joseph's response to those various questions previously posed. There, Joseph stands before Pharaoh in his own court robe, but he's looking at a man who has a keen, penetrating eye, a man who is bare, perhaps standing in the strength of his muscular physique, a man who's standing in regal carriage and in his proud medium, a man wearing the double crown that for a thousand years had symbolized the union of upper and lower Egypt. On his imperial brow was the twin insignia of the two lands, the falcon and the serpent. In the one hand was the crook for the upper Egypt and in the other was the frail for the lower Egypt. The Pharaoh was probably standing before Joseph arrayed in a long fluted skirt made of priceless Egyptian linen. He no doubt had on his golden sandals on his feet, for such was the Pharaoh. But crazy enough, in Egyptian, in Egyptian religion, Pharaoh was a man who supposed to be God, the incarnation of Ra. Ra was believed to rule all parts of the created world in Egyptian religion. Whether you're talking the sky or the earth, or the underworld, Ra was in control. He was also recognized or, as the god of the sun, the god of order. Ra was portrayed in that falcon image, but worshipped as, again, the god of the sun and the giver of life, controlling even the ripening of the crops which were worked by men, and because Ra was believed by the Egyptians to be one that possesses the life-giving qualities, the creator of the universe and the giver of life and one who represents warmth and growth, this is the persona that Joseph now stands before, supposedly a god who encompasses all of those characteristics and yet he was a God who couldn't interpret his own dreams. But none of that intimidated or changed Joseph. In fact, Joseph reminds Pharaoh, and I believe he wanted to make sure he remind himself, let me make it clear, it's not me, says Joseph in verse 16, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer and God will give Pharaoh a peace of mind. Joseph stood looking at a man who was weighed down heavily with his crown and regalia of royalty. 
he saw before him again a man occupying a position that has been both sanctioned and sanctified by 1,500 years of unbroken tradition. But beyond all of that, Joseph also saw a man who was lost, a man who was lonely, and a man who was certainly concerned about his own future. No matter who he checked with, they could not interpret his dreams. And so he has Joseph ushered before his presence and says this single thing, my dreams, Joseph, can you interpret them? Joseph, can you solve my problem? And once again, Joseph directs, look at verse 16, back to God, not me, Pharaoh, but God can answer your prayer. God can answer your dream. Joseph makes it clear that it's not him. It's the God who has worked the gift through him. And so we come to verse 17 all the way to verse 32. And Joseph provides Pharaoh the interpretation to his dream. Listen to what Joseph says. And I'll simplify the reading for us. Joseph says that the seven fat and sleek cows and the seven full and plump ears of corn on a single stock represents seven years of plenty and prosperity in Egypt. He also says that the seven lean and ugly cows and the seven thin and scorched ears of the corn represents lack, represents famine. And notice as Joseph interprets the dream, Pharaoh was troubled by the fact that that which was weak, ugly, and lean kept taking over, consuming that which was fat and strong and plump and full. And Joseph says to Pharaoh, the good thing, Pharaoh, is that God is showing you in advance what's going to take place, what's about to occur. Look what he says in verse 28. He says, it is, as I have spoken to Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. God is giving you a heads up, Pharaoh, not only for yourself, but the entire land of Egypt, and you don't even know him. You don't even trust him. And yet, talk about grace and mercy, God is being merciful and gracious enough to give you a heads up. But in reality, the story is not about Pharaoh. The story is really about how God is using Pharaoh as an instrument to put Joseph in the position of his comeback. 
Sometimes people can't understand why you continue to lend your support and help and they think that you need them, you have to have them in order for your life to transition by way of promotion. And God may be very well trying to convince you to understand they are only an instrument in my hand. I'm going to raise you up in the position of promotion, but also what you consider to be the painful journey of the setback and the setup, I'm going to bring you back to the place of joy and the place of assurance so that you will know just as Joseph learned, but the Lord is always with Joseph. He repeatedly focuses Pharaoh back to God who supplies all the needs and answers all the prayers and provides the peace that surpasseth all understanding. He secondly, in interpreting the dream, lets Pharaoh know that the dream highlights the famine because it's going to be severe and it will outweigh all of the prosperity that Egypt had experienced in the previous seven years. Look at verse 29. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming in all of the land of Egypt, and after them seven years of famine will come, and all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will ravage the land. So the abundance will be unknown in the land because of the subsequent famine, for it will be very severe. In other words, God is saying to Pharaoh, I'm going to cut off all human pot potential to be able to get you through the famine. And yet I'm going to utilize Joseph who's going to, in return, show you how his service to God has created the platform in which he stands before you right now. And just in case, Pharaoh, you think this is a hoax, God is indeed, verse 32, going to bring this to pass. That's why you had two dreams instead of one. So Joseph has done the ultimate. He has A, interpreted Pharaoh's problem. Now he says, Joseph, let me provide you with a proposal going forward. And this proposal will involve a detailed plan as to how you can survive this severe famine that is coming. And it's coming. It's coming because God has so prophesied in your dream that it's going to come to pass. And although it's seven years out, you can avoid failing to plan by doing nothing. Instead, I want you to do something. 
Joseph speaks like a prophet anticipating prophetic results. He says to him, Pharaoh, I don't want you to not do nothing, but, but God has given me a plan to tell you there is something you need to do. Highly suggesting that when God is working on your comeback, you have a part in the plan. You don't just sit and do nothing, but God navigates you through to participate in the victory. I've heard people say, you need some skin in the game. Your labor gives a deeper appreciation when the outcome evolves. And that's what God is going to do through Joseph in Pharaoh. I also like what the Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says that God is making clear to Pharaoh, and that is that the future in Egypt does not depend on you. Mr. Pharaoh, Egypt's future on the one hand doesn't depend on you. He does not get to decide, says Brueggemann. And Joseph has calmly announced to the Lord of Egypt that the future is out of his hands. And yet on the other hand, if he fails to follow through on Joseph's recommendation, <coughs> he will in return cost Egypt their future. But God is trying to make it clear that Joseph is informing Pharaoh, you can't resist what God is about to do. Like the pagan king Cyrus, Pharaoh was merely brought to power to bring about God's purpose for the life of Joseph. See, sometimes God brings people in your life simply because God has a reason for them and they may think one thing while God in his own divine appointment has another objective and they don't know that they're only an instrument and if they follow through on being utilized by God you will not only be blessed but their life could very well be preserved and therefore blessed as well. So Joseph informs Pharaoh that he will need to appoint someone to preside over preserving the future. Listen to what the text says in verse 33. Now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. I want to stop right there because I want us to highlight the fact that Joseph has really arrived and his comeback is right here. God has laid the foundation for Joseph to succeed in the comeback. It's about to happen and I say it's about to happen and it has arrived because Pharaoh is about to roll from his lips the confirmation that Joseph, his comeback has arrived. It's about to happen. He's going to shout in his own way, my comeback has arrived. 
arguably Joseph would say it's been worth the journey after all. The story of Joseph thus far underscores something that Frederick Douglass reminds us of. If there is no struggle, there is no progress. And Joseph has surely had his struggles. And where you are right now, you probably have had your struggles and you may be having the struggle. And you may wonder, when is my day, when is my comeback going to arrive? And as I said on last week, God has his own timing. Don't know when it will be, what day it will be, what year it will be. Don't know the timing. But remember, God made a promise to Joseph. And he's going to see it come to pass. But Joseph's leave for us some lessons that I think we need to grasp this morning and if we can grasp these lessons that Joseph has left us and wait for our own moment of a comeback, these lessons, I think, will help us persevere, will preserve our sanity and will help us see the purpose that God has in setting us back, in permitting the setback, in orchestrating the setup, that we might walk in the comeback. Four things, then I'm done. First of all, I think when you read the Joseph narrative, keep this point in mind. We are encouraged to take your trauma and make it transformational. Take your trauma and make it transformational. No matter how difficult the issue has been on the job, in your family, at church, in your own personal life, the challenge is indeed deep and it stretch and has stretched and continues to stretch you. But you've got to find a way to not permit that trauma to take you under, but to take that trauma and make it transformational. Make it work for you. When they change the rules on you, make it work for you. When their attitudes change, make it work for you. When they have taken away instead of giving, make it work for you. When Joseph is brought before Pharaoh, I, I can almost sense that Satan is in the background and Joseph's mind, now listen, don't go in there talking about God. Don't go in there telling him how God will make a way and you know in reading the story, Joseph does just that. He directs everything back to God. Satan probably said, this is your chance, this is your opportunity, grab it. Remember, you may very well be on top of the world now. Take advantage of it, use it, don't think about anybody else. And yet, Joseph doesn't do that. The trauma of the pit, the trauma of Potiphar's wife, the trauma of being imprisoned, he 
transition it for transformation because it only made him better, only made him stronger. Don't let it defeat you. Instead, let it help shape you in the becoming process. Remember the words of Jesus in John 15, verse 2, every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes it. He cuts it. He takes away. He eliminates. He cut off the access. He removes whatever is hindering growth in that traumatic moment, that, says Jesus, it will bear even more fruit. And so that's why sometimes when we are bearing fruit, when we are growing, when we are riding high on our spiritual cloud, we wonder why all of a sudden we have been hit with an adversity. Remember, God says, I prune, I cut away, but I'm doing it so that you will bear more fruit fruit. Take your trauma and make it transformational. There's a second thing. I mentioned it earlier. If you have a pulse, you have possibilities. And here's the way I would explain that. If you're still breathing, if you're still active, if you're still pushing, if you're still praying, if you're still shouting, if you're still being blessed, you still have possibilities because you are still alive. And joy is a pulse, and it's a pulse that the world didn't give, and the world can't take it away so long as you don't let the world do it. Says Thomas Edison, our greatest weakness lies in giving up. The most certain way to succeed is to always try one more time. And maybe you feel like this is it. I'm throwing in the towel. This is the end of the journey. I'm tired of my Joseph experience. I'm tired of being in the prison. I'm tired of being ostracized. I'm tired of going through difficulty. I just want to holler at you and say, try it one more time. Try what? Try your faith. Try your hope. Try your endurance. Try your fight one more time. And always remember, the king still has one more move. If you got a pulse, you got possibilities. There's a third thing, and that is that life is a series of seasons that transition. Life is a series of seasons that transition. I have learned across these years painfully the truth that lies in the words of Vincent van Gogh. And that is that great things are not, by, are not done by impulse, but by a series of small things brought together. 
And those small things could very well consist of disappointments, consist of heartaches, consist of brokenness, consist of confusion, consist of all kinds of negativity, and yet they are brought together to create the great moment in Joseph's case, to stand before Pharaoh. And it may be that you have seen those series of small things, a skirmish here, a challenge there, an issue over here, and yet out of all of that, God keeps bringing, and in the language of Paul, working all things together for the good. I just want to holler at you and make sure that you understand that's what God is doing in Joseph's life. That's what God is going to do in your life. I can testify he's done it in mine. But in that process, we must remember Ecclesiastes 3 and 1. For everything, there is a season. It can't always be winter. It's not going to always be spring. It's not going to always be fall. It's not going to always be summer. They transition to give you the diversity of what life can be. And as the writer says, for everything, you can't always be down in the valley. Sometime God's going to raise you up but there will be some valley moments. There's a season for everything. And yet, the writer of Ecclesiastes in verse 11 says something yet, says something more. He says, yet God has made everything beautiful in its own time. So, whenever my comeback has arrived, I may not shout as high as I want to. I may not feel the best as I desire. But in time, I see the beauty of what I had to go through. Ultimately, God is in control of all the seasons, whether they are natural or within your life. We already know that. So it's important to recognize that from the very start of the season, God has got this under control. And then finally, when your comeback arrives, don't change. When your comeback arrives, don't change. Joseph reminds us that he's doing now in the palace what he did in the prison, interpret dreams. Keep in mind that Joseph shows that we don't do something new at the new level. We need to do what got us to the new level because what got us there will keep us there. In the words of Dr. Charles Goodman, he says, it is the gift that you mature in the prison that gives you access to the palace and it is the same gift that you should continue using once you get there. Once you experience your comeback, don't change. 
pray in the palace like you prayed in the prison, sing in the palace like you sung in prison, witness in the palace just like you witness in prison, praise in the palace like you praise in the prison, read the word in the palace like you read it in the prison. It will keep you in the palace just like it kept you in the prison. That's Joseph's way of reminding us that your comeback is coming and that day will arrive. But whatever you do, don't change. Keep on glorifying, keep on shouting, keep on being who you are just as you did in prison. Shout now in the palace. And we're going to learn next week that even in the promotion in terms of being now before Pharaoh and being able to solve the interpretation of the dream, the best is yet to come. For Joseph is sure enough going to rise and sit on the throne. Let's pray together. Lord, consecrate this moment in which you have given us. I pray in Jesus' name that someone today will not give up in their journey, will not throw in the towel, will not declare that they are defeated, but will hold on to your unchanging hand, will permit themselves to be saturated and surrounded and filled with your divine power as you transition them from the prison to the palace. Lord, may they keep their eyes on you and never change, but remember from whom all blessings flow. Help someone day, Lord, today in their situation to know that life is just simply a series of seasons that transition. Keep them strong. And no matter how weak they are, as long as they have a pulse, they have possibilities. And Lord, may they take this moment when they arrive at their comeback to turn that trauma and make it transformational. For that's what you did through Jesus Christ on the cross. That traumatic moment of crucifixion became transformational, not only in the redemption of man by granting the forgiveness of sin, satisfying the sin debt, but on Sunday morning, victoriously through the resurrection, transforming life from death unto life. Save someone today who's going to call on your name that they may experience that glorious transformation out of their trauma in their own life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. That's my prayer, that's our prayer this morning, that God would speak to your heart through the word and that your life will begin to be transformed by the word of God and by the renewing of your mind. I hope today that if you've made that decision for Jesus, you would let us know, hey, I am now a believer in Jesus Christ and my life is never going to be the same. It shall not be but it will be full now of the glorious presence and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We honor you and thank you for having an opportunity to be blessed and 
viewing this broadcast, and I praise God for the message and pray that you will be blessed by it as well. We ask that if you have never supported this ministry, please consider supporting us. Helps keep us on this air and gives us a chance to continue to preach the gospel. We thank those of you who consistently support this ministry by way of tithes and offerings. We thank you so much, and we pray that you'll continue to do so. Now I trust that as the Holy Spirit continues to bless once we leave the air, know this, that God loves you, and so do I. And if you without a church home, the Great Little Zion Baptist Church extends our arms of welcome to you. We would love to have you as a part of this church family. You need only contact us through one of the means at the end of the service by way of social media. There's our church website and church phone number as well. Contact us and I will personally call you back because we want to see you as a part of this church fellowship. Most importantly, that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Have a blessed, wonderful, joyous week. And always know as a, once again that I love you, God loves you, and the best is always yet to come. In Jesus' name, amen. No, it was not late in the night.